This is the Daily Detail, powered by 1819 News. Honest News. Alabama. Alabama. Our great state. The voice of Alabama values. Alabama. Unbelievable people. And now, here is Andrea Tice. Alabama Congressman Robert Adderholt says there is a possibility of diesel fuel shortages, which will also cause a problem with the supply chain and inflation. Adderholt says that the Biden administration's failed green energy initiatives are to blame. The Daily Detail reported last week on this potential shortage. The loss of Russian oil imports has now caused refineries to slow their production, which is causing the diesel reserve supply to now be at its lowest in decades here in the U.S. It's now at 25 days. Adderholt and other House colleagues have called on the Biden administration to put together a five-year energy plan to avoid such shortages and the increase in prices. Adderholt also criticized Biden for allowing America's reliance on foreign oil production in the first place. While gas prices have dropped in recent months, diesel prices remain at about $5 a gallon. Diesel fuel is used in the trucking industries, aviation, farming, and a lot more. Well, no doubt more than half of Alabama has already heard the news, but it does bear repeating In a state that is full of football fanatics, the head coach for the Auburn Tigers football team in Auburn has been fired. Brian Harson has only been working at the football program for two years. His first season saw a 9-12 record, and Harson's record so far in the 2022 season is at 3-10. This year, the Auburn Tigers allowed for 40 points in four games, which is the most in the program's history. Auburn University says the search for a new head coach begins immediately. Before this latest headline, Auburn University was already making it into the news with recent reports that the man who's being sought to become the next athletic director comes from Mississippi with ties to the LGBTQ activist community. John Cohen and his wife Nell were praised on social media by the group called Starkville Pride. The group praised Cohen's wife for funding and helping organize LGBTQ events and for her husband in working to make the Starkville, Mississippi area a haven for the LGBTQ community. Cohen's wife actually serves on the board of what is called the LGBTQ Fund, which works as a pipeline to fuel and enhance the work of LGBTQ organizations. Auburn University President Chris Roberts has already received a lot of objections from those in the community and faculty and other coaches within the program for considering Cohen. 1819's reporter Daniel Taylor features more on this story at the 1819 News website. A trial date has now been set for a former teacher and coach who is charged with inappropriate sexual relations with a student. Jerry Benford was employed at the Phil Campbell High School until his arrest in March of 2021. The 30-year-old teacher was first placed on administrative leave but no longer works at that high school. The charges against Benford included distributing obscene material and soliciting a 17-year-old student for sex. Benford's first hearing is set for November 29th. He is currently jailed in Franklin County with no bond. And a body that was found in the Coosa River in Gadsden has been identified as that of a missing man who's been gone for nearly 40 years. The remains are confirmed to be that of Alan Livingston, who was last seen by a co-worker at the Goodyear plant in that town back in 1983. Livingston was driving away in a brown 1984 Bronco. Scuba divers found that Bronco in the river this past year, and then the skeletal remains of Livingston were found nearby as well as his driver's license and Goodyear ID card. Police believe that there is a connection to Livingston's disappearance and death to that of a Texas man 
who admitted to killing a Gadsden man a month later. That man is William Roth Jr. Roth Jr. is currently on his deathbed in a nursing home in San Antonio. He's already served time for another murder in that state. The sister of Livingston is still living in the state of Ohio, and she was recently notified by Gadsden police of the discovery of Livingston's remains and the likely cause of his death. For more in-depth stories affecting the state of Alabama, go to 1819news.com. In national news, well, featured a day ago on The Daily Detail was the fact that the U.S. Pentagon issued a report on the national security threat that is posed by China rather than Russia. Now NBC News is reporting more disturbing news about the nature of China's military capabilities that were funded in part by U.S. taxpayers. Here's how. NBC News obtained a private intelligence report composed by software development firm Strider, in which they used open-source intelligence to determine that 150 Chinese-born scientists are now back living in China, working for the communist government in their military applications. But this comes only after those same researchers and scientists spent years here in the U.S. conducting taxpayer-funded research with the Department of Energy in the lab where the atomic bomb was developed in Los Alamos, New Mexico. Here is Strider co-founder Greg Levesque talking to NBC News. This is not a couple of um, of rogue actors uh, deciding to you know put stuff in their bags and head back to China. This is a um, a concerted effort by a nation state to identify, target, and recruit overseas scientists back to their country. I think the evidence suggests that they've successfully done it. Levesque says the report shows that U.S. taxpayers funded the sensitive research only to have it now being employed over in China's labs. And that is one of the many reasons that China is now viewed as such a supercharged threat to the U.S. Pentagon. And on the heels of that report comes more information about the software company out of Michigan, whose CEO, Eugene Yu, was arrested by the Los Angeles County District Attorney, for stealing data related to election poll workers in L.A. County. Eugene Yu headed up the Connect company, which creates the poll chief software used in elections. The data that was collected by poll chief was found to be in the hands of China and stored on servers in that country. Now the National Pulse is revealing that Eugene Yu and his Connect staff made 49 political donations, totaling almost $2 million, and all of those donations went to Democratic candidates, including Joe Biden's presidential campaign, and the Alabama senatorial race of Doug Jones. In a strange twist of events, the two people who were most involved in exposing Connect's CEO for his China ties are also now in jail. U.S. Marshals arrested Greg Phillips and Catherine Engelbrecht this past Monday for not revealing the source behind their research into Connect and the discovery of the company's China-based servers. Engelbrecht and Phillips were immediately sued for defamation by Eugene Yu this past September when they released the info regarding Connect and the servers in China. Some media outlets blasted Engelbrecht and Phillips for making these claims, calling them ludicrous and conspiratorial, but the two were then vindicated by the later arrest and charges coming from the L.A. District Attorney. The defamation lawsuit against Phillips and Engelbrecht still continues forward, and this recent arrest comes from the federal judge overseeing this case. He charged them with contempt of court. The U.S. Department of Justice issued charges against 42-year-old David DePape for the assault on Paul Pelosi, the husband of the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Now, while these charges were quickly issued by the DOJ against the man who happened to live in a school bus in the town of Berkeley, California, 
there are still more questions arising as to how and why this man gained access to the Pelosi's San Francisco home. Police have yet to release the security camera footage from at least four cameras positioned around the Pelosi home. Neither are they revealing the body cameras on the police officers at that incident. Media outlets are claiming that DePape was there to hurt Nancy and even yelled out her name. However, police have yet to confirm that by releasing any audio to that fact. Also, the original announcement by San Francisco Police Chief Dale Scott revealed that DePape did not attack Paul Pelosi with a hammer until the police were standing at the door of the home. When the officers arrived on scene, they encountered an adult male and Mr. Pelosi's husband, Paul. Our officers observed Mr. Pelosi and the suspect both holding a hammer. The suspect pulled the hammer away from Mr. Pelosi and violently assaulted him with it. Our officers immediately tackled the suspect, disarmed him, took him into custody, requested emergency backup, and rendered medical aid. Also revealed in all of this is the fact that a third person was at the Pelosi home in order to let the police in, and that person has yet to be identified. As to the political motivations of DePape in his confrontation with Paul Pelosi, media outlets tried very quickly to paint him as a radical right-wing extremist. However, his ex-girlfriend, Gypsy Taub, called into the ABC7 news station in San Francisco to set the record straight. Did he have any sort of aggression towards politicians? Were his political beliefs extreme, in your opinion? When I met him, he didn't really have... Uh he was only 20 years old. He didn't have any experience in politics. He was very much in alignment with my beliefs. Uh, we, I have, I've always been very progressive, and actually, I absolutely admire Nancy Pelosi. Now, you have to take Tob's testimony with a grain of salt. She called from prison. She's currently doing time for the enticement and attempted kidnapping of an underage male. This whole case still has a lot of loose ends remaining. And depending on your personal opinion on how federal law enforcement agencies are behaving as of late, will determine whether you think this story has had a satisfactory conclusion or the truth will actually never see the light of day. You're listening to The Daily Detail from 1819 News. Be sure and check out Phil Williams at Right Side Radio as he sits down and talks with Dr. Jordan Vaughn, the CEO of MedHelp Clinics here in Alabama, who took part in treating COVID-19 patients in a much different way than was prescribed by the federal government and medical institutions. One of the ways we learned about COVID at my clinic was we never followed the guideline of don't see the patient. I've never actually had a disease or learned about a disease that we learned about by not seeing people. Wow. But that's what we were told. And so even now, the fear, the fear is less. I think a lot of people are more understanding, especially as the physicians themselves lose the fear of COVID because they've had it. I think one of the more effective ways they got physicians to buy in to don't see the patient was to scare the hell out of the physicians first <laughs> and were kind of wusses. Yeah. So, but the other thing is that, what you have to understand is in that first 10 to 11, 12 days, that's when uh, the rubber meets the road on whether somebody needs to be treated aggressively or not. And again, in my clinic, a lot of times we test, we get you, you know, find out if you're positive or not, treat you aggressively with monoclonal antibodies, a lot of other antivirals. Uh, we also kind of, um, you know, look at what the three spectrums of, you know, viral replication to, uh, cytokine storm to thrombosis happen and address them. We also make you come back or want you to come back five to seven days 
to make sure that you're not heading in a direction that's abnormal. But it's important to intervene then instead of intervene day 14. And the hospital system still haven't learned that. And I think that's one of the reasons that you see people that even as they've gotten, you know, that the, you know, 19 people do fine, but that one person, you know, gets stuck at the hospital because they really didn't, you know, address it or take it seriously. If you feel like you haven't gotten, you're not getting better or you're getting worse in the context of those first seven days, uh, you need to seek treatment and seek, seek out somebody that understands the disease as it exists, not as the narrative has been told. You can find more of that podcast at rightsideradio.org. If you are enjoying the daily detail and want to make sure the reports come up easily on your electronic device, then be sure to hit the subscribe or follow button on the main page of the daily detail on whatever podcasting app you've been using to listen. That could be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbeam, or some other podcasting apps. You can also get the word out about the daily detail by sending a link to a friend or dropping me a five-star rating. I surely do appreciate it. I'm Andrea Tice. I will be back again tomorrow, and I look forward to updating you then. Alabama. Alabama. Our great state. Alabama. Of Alabama. This has been The Daily Detail. For more up-to-date news, go to 1819news.com, where you'll find honest news and Alabama values. 